0: Hey, and welcome to the Cross Point Church podcast We are a church that is for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada We are passionate about helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus So, if you're just joining us for the first time We would love for you to check out our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca There you can find ways to connect with us and see what's happening at Crosspoint Now, let's listen to this week's Sunday message
1: you notice the measured steps I took in rhythm with the, ah, lost on you guys. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are present with us, and as we talk about the Holy Spirit who you have given us, we pray, Lord, that uh, the truths of it would settle in, and there would ri- rise up in within us a longing to be all that you want us to be. So we give ourselves to you now in Jesus' name, Amen. A couple of things, Uh, I just want to start off with uh, a perspective that isn't often spoken about in evangelical churches, but uh, I have to say that when I think about the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it really sits in my heart that it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Mother. There is something about the Holy Spirit that really is expressed in the feminine. And for me, it was my mom. If I was to say, who do I know that exemplified the heart of the Holy Spirit, it would have been my mom. She passed away uh, about 13 years ago now. But uh, I can remember after she passed, I was talking to my youngest sister. And she was crying, of course. And she says, Mom's gone. Who's going to pray for me? Who's going to carry me? And that was something that we all were aware of as a family. I can remember many times getting up to go to school. And Mom would get us all together. And then we would head off. And uh, she would go to her quiet space. We knew that because anytime we were sick, After everybody else had gone to school, the person who was sick was told, go to your room, don't bother me for the next hour. And she would go into a bedroom, close the door, and pray for us. It was that quiet, soft spirit that was hers. My dad was an outgoing, very bold, confronting kind of guy. My mom was the one that came alongside and cared and comforted and just expressed the heart of God to us in a different way. And so when I think of, I come to a day like this, moms, well, not moms, all of you women, you know that you carry, in a sense, something of the heart of God. You were created in his image. And being created in his image, in some ways, is expressed in who you are and how you are with your families, how you are with your friends. And I really believe that some of that is the work of the Spirit. It's that You are carrying out the heart of the Holy Spirit in the way you live. And so as Brenda said, we want to celebrate moms, yes, but all of you women who are part of our lives and enrich us in so many ways. This morning we are uh, taking a look at the Holy Spirit and receiving Him. And I want to take us back to uh, last Sunday when Brendan uh, spoke about the Holy Spirit. Talking about the role of the Holy Spirit in mission. And he took us to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, in that verse, in those verses, uh, he made a couple comments that are foundational to what we want to talk about today. So, 1 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 3. So I want you to know that no one speaks speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. I want to remind you that at the very core of the work of the Holy Spirit is this thing of knowing our relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, anyone who is filled with the Holy Spirit, they cannot curse Jesus. I remember as a young person and being a literalist back in the day, anyone who can say Jesus is Lord can only do it by the Spirit. And I thought, oh, that's easy. I can just say Jesus is Lord. No, this is talking about the heart, your heart. In your heart, can you declare Jesus Christ is Lord? You can only do that because the Holy Spirit has been at work in you. He has been shaping you. He has made Jesus the center of your life. And so the result is is that as we come to this idea of receiving the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about at the end of the service, it really starts with a recognition in in your heart that Jesus is Lord and it isn't just a intellectual statement of truth it's a reality it's a willingness to do what he tells you to do in spite of what's happening around you I can remember uh, <clears throat> the first time I was challenged in terms of worshipping and the person speaking said you know Our songs that we sing, our actions in service, need to reflect our relationship with Jesus. And so, that's fine, because I always felt quite safe singing songs, sitting down, standing up, not being very demonstrative at all all about it. And then he said, your outward behavior has to be congruent with your inward reality. I go, okay. Okay. So I prayed about that, and I said, Lord, I want to be congruent inwardly and outwardly. And uh, I can remember the first time I was in a very conservative church. I would prayed that, and we were singing a song about lifting our hands. And I go, oh, Lord, not really. In this place, you're asking me to do this? Somebody forgot to turn off their phone. And... uh, so I lifted my hands. There's a Christian comedian out there, by the way, that does the thing about different levels of lifting hands. Some of you have seen that, right? Uh, well, I was down here keeping it safe. But the Lord kept prompting me. And I can remember one Sunday morning, God said, Jim, take off your shoes because the ground you're standing on is holy. I can remember going up on the platform, sock feet, feeling exposed. But knowing that's what God asked me to do. Because something had happened in that service to make that moment sacred. And in some ways this morning, that's what we want to do. We want to create this space as sacred. Because you see, God is amongst us where two or three are gathered together in his name, there I am among them. This isn't just about him being in us, which is true, but it's about him being amongst us, wanting to move and do what he wants to do amongst us. Do you believe that he's present? Do you believe that he wants to do something in your life? At the heart of that is this idea that only those who are moved by the Spirit can declare He is Lord. Only those who are full of the Holy Spirit would never curse Jesus. It goes on to say in this passage, so there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but they're the same Spirit, the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. And God works in different ways but it is the same god who does the work in all of us I don't know if you picked it up last week but when Brandon talked about this passage he talked about the trinitarian nature of it that the spirit the lord and god it's really talking about the holy spirit the lord jesus christ and god the father and these are three different ways that god works in us and so i'm going to talk start with god the father because you see, although he's at the end of the list there, God works in different ways. He gives gifts. God gives gifts. And the Father gives us motivations. Because you see, different. he's always at work. I'm going to come to this verse a little later, but Jesus made this comment, the Father is always at work. And when I see him doing something, I do the same thing. Motivational gifts are really taken from Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, it talks about a series of gifts, seven or eight of them there, I can't remember the number, but there's a series of gifts there and these are motivations. In other words, they are the things that sort of push us in a particular direction. They are given to every person in the world. They're part of the image of God in us. So every person in this world, has a motivational gift from God. But then there's the gifts that Jesus gives. These are Ephesians chapter 4, and these are the gifts that talk about ministries. Jesus gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to the church as ministries. And then there are the manifestation gifts, which we're going to talk a little bit about, of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives gifts. And these are gifts that are from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the passage that we were just looking at. So let's go to the next slide. We serve a giving God. He gives in so many different ways. Gifts are just one of them. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. His heart is giving. And at the very core of who he calls us to be is that same thing, a desire to give, to take the good news of Jesus Christ and give it to other people, to share it. And if you want to fall into the character of God, learn to give. It's something that is just, as you learn to give, as you pay attention to people around you and what's happening, And you step in to give your time or resources or whatever it is that you have in hand and you pass it on to them. That giving is a very act that replicates who God is. You know, we can get so caught up with our own busyness. We have these rhythms in our life and when someone comes along and disrupts them, it's pretty tempting sometimes to push back and say, don't bug me. I need to do what I'm doing. And yet, sometimes when they come and interrupt us, it's also an opportunity to step back and say, what is it they need? Do I have what can I give? So let's take a look at these. Let's take a look at the next slide there. Motivational gifts. These are the ones that God gives to everyone. They really frame your role in the society. So in Romans chapter twelve, verse six, it talks about the fact that if you have the gift of exhortation, with the amount of faith that you have, you're to use it. These gifts from Romans chapter twelve, really, if you take a look at them and you start thinking about them and you sort of saying, "Who are? Who am I? And which of these gifts are expressed in my life?" You'll find yourself falling into specific places in terms of how you live your life, whether it be your career or your hobbies or whatever it is, you will find yourself fitting in in such a way that you minister, not just in the context of the church, not just in context of sharing the gospel, but in the context of giving your life over and serving in the community you're living in. So I can tell you, you can go through Romans chapter 12 and look at those gifts. And if you're in any of the helping ones, you'll probably have a gift of mercy. Or one of the others that blends with it. However, if you're in the leadership role in a corporation, you'll probably have the gift of administration. And that word in that passage, by the way, is administration. Isn't the nuts and bolts kind of administration. It talks about piloting a ship through dangerous waters, giving leadership. In other words, the Romans 12 passages are really about who you are in the greater world and how you can serve in that context. And that's why there's people who are outside of faith, who are gifted leaders, gifted counselors, gifted in all kinds of different ways because they are carrying the image of God in them. That's what he planned for them. But can you imagine taking what God has put into every one of us and marrying it with the Holy Spirit to see where it'll take you? That's just mind boggling possibilities. The next set of gifts is the ones that Jesus gives to the church. These are Ephesians 4. And these frame your ministry in discipleship. Every one of us is called to be a person who disciples. Right? As you live your lives, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the calling of all of us as followers of Christ. And these gifts, ministry gifts, are in every one of us. Some of them are. A combination of them. Some of them are in fledging levels. In other words, you're just growing into them, Others have grown into them and have matured into them, and so they're functioning as an apostolic person or as a prophet or evangelist, pastor, or teacher. I'm going to just take a moment to give you a bit of an idea what those words mean, because sometimes we narrow it down to say apostle can only be someone like Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter. In reality, an apostle is really a sent one. It's someone who has the vision to do something new and unique. You guys have a great example of an apostle in your history. There's this guy named Rob Chartrand who had a vision for a particular area of the city. And he stepped out and embraced that vision, and look what's happened. Here we are at Crosspoint. It's an apostolic calling. Oh, he had other gifts. He was probably a preacher or a teacher. But those, that's who he was. There's other people who have the gift of prophecy. In other words, they're so tuned with God that God can sometimes speak to them and give us a sense of his purpose and intention in a moment. Or he can bring words of encouragement to a congregation. Evangelists. This one's an interesting one. Because... All of these gifts are not just about a specific ministry. In other words, we are all called to share the gospel with everybody around us. We have different ways of doing that. But an evangelist is someone not only who has the great ability to do that, but he is able or she is able to teach others, to help them understand what it is in our moment, in our culture, how do we speak life to the world around us. That's an evangelist. Someone who can help us grow and mature into that role. Of course, pastors have that role of caring for the flock, being a part of helping heal, bringing wholeness to people. And then finally, teachers are the ones that take this and make it applicable to our lives day to day. Those are the gifts that Jesus gives to the church. And all of you are called to be disciples. Because you see in verse 12 of Ephesians 4, it says, these ministries are given for the maturing of the saints, preparing them for works of service. That's what discipleship's about. It's about teaching us and helping us to grow into the likeness of Jesus. And then finally, the manifestation gifts, the ones that the Holy Spirit gives, they don't frame things. The gifts of the Holy Spirit confirm the gospel that we share. What does that mean? Well, there's two verses. I just put up Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4. There it talks about this great salvation. How can we neglect this great salvation that has been spoken to us by Jesus himself? Then it goes on to say, God confirmed that message through signs and wonders, through spiritual gifts given by the Holy Spirit. If you take Acts 2.22, we'll be looking at that verse a little later. Peter uses the same phrasing, that Jesus of Nazareth, in his ministry, his words were confirmed through what he did. And you see, the spiritual gifts that the Spirit gives are the ones that are meant to penetrate our culture. We did a survey of this postal code in terms of the religious... Values and so on or where they were at and I got to say it's probably true right across the city So where you live if you're not in t5w, but you're living in another part of the city This statistic probably is true of your neighborhood also Just under 50% of the people have no sense of religion They're religious nons In other words, they have no interest in it Have you count encountered that in your world? where you maybe share that you are a follower of Christ and they probably dismiss it and go on to something else? How do we reach those kinds of people? What would awaken them to want to become a follower of Christ after all the bad publicity the followers of Christ have received over the last couple of years? See, that's the issue that we're facing, right? How do we reach this world with the gospel? I got to tell you, The way it happens is by the work of the Holy Spirit in us. That's how it worked with Jesus. He came, and he was teaching, and he had resistance. And we're going to be taking a look at a passage where the disciples experienced the same thing. What happened is Jesus would heal somebody. And all of a sudden, it changed the atmosphere because now there was something different, something new had happened. If you have a chance to talk to Derek, he's not here this morning. He's the guy that uh, sometimes leads worship up here. If you have a chance to talk to him, ask him about how God is using miracles in his life. How God is using that to penetrate people's hearts. Because you see, when you come and you ask somebody, can I pray for you? One of the things that happens is if they say yes, Man, you have an open door to start praying what God puts on your heart for them. And it doesn't have to be miraculous. It sometimes just has to be a simple thing of caring enough to pray. I went in for a coffee one time. Local uh, uh, local little service station. And it was early in the morning. And she said... Uh, she had seen me coming and she says are you the pastor or something next door and i said yeah i pastor the church i says what about you do you have a faith background and she says oh we left that a long time ago i says why oh she says my son died we went to church sat in the front row nobody came and talked to us no one cared so we just said that's it we're not going to be engaged anymore a lot of people have that experience And I said, can I pray for you? She sort of hunched down, looked around to see if there was anyone else in the room. I said, don't worry, I'll make it quick. And then I just prayed that God would minister to her, meet her. And after I was finished praying, she was crying a little bit. And at that time, we had an evening service, and I said, I know you work in the mornings, but on." Saturday nights, we have a service at the church. You can come and join us there. Long story short, she became a follower of Jesus because somebody cared enough to pray for her, to listen, to hear. That's a little bit of how Derek does it, a little bit how you could do it. As you're paying attention to the people around you, pick up on what's happening in their lives. And when you see something that is worthy of prayer, Ask, can I pray for you? And then pray. Just pray what you sense God would have you pray for them. What's on your heart? Because your heart has been shaped by Jesus. Not totally. You still have messed up parts of it, probably. But the reality is, is that you have a desire to please him, to honor him. So trust him working in your heart to guide you in praying for people. When that happens... God will start to work. His presence grows in us. So Acts chapter 2, verse 22. People of Israel, or cross point, as you see I put in there, cross point, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you know. And then I put in there John chapter 5, which is the passage where it, Jesus is speaking, and he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. It, he prefaced it by saying, God is always at work. I only do what I see the Father doing. Do you realize that anytime you have a sense of spiritual interest in the people around you, there's an openness to allow you to pray for them? That is an indicator that God is at work. And you can step into that and trust that God will be present with you to guide you and direct you. God's heart is to touch people's lives, to change their perspective of who he is. And sometimes it isn't our words, it's our actions, our willingness to engage, to give of ourselves, to step out and take a risk that opens a door for God to penetrate, to get past their resistance. So, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 3. If you don't have your Bibles, you can just listen. Because I'm going to take you through Acts chapter 3 and 4, just parts of it. And this is a following the resurrection, following the day of Pentecost. And the peop- uh, Peter was just following the example of Christ. So it says that one day Peter, this is the beginning of chapter 3, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple. They were going up for the afternoon prayer. Afternoon prayer, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. If you've ever been in Israel, you know that that's the hottest part of the day. But there was this porch along the side of the temple called Solomon's Colonnade. And it was a very big space where lots of people could meet. You've got to realize that at this time, the church was about 3,000 people already. And so they needed big spaces because they had a lot of people getting together to pray. And so they would go to the colonnade to pray. So as they're coming up, this guy, crippled guy, is being brought and set down by the gate beautiful. He was brought there every day to Beg for alms. That was the way he raised to take care of himself. He'd been like that for 40 years. Jesus had probably gone through that gate a number of times and had walked past this guy never healed him. He left that for Peter. And so Peter's coming up and this guy's begging for alms. Alms, alms. He's calling out. And what happened is Peter made eye contact with the guy. As he's walking forward, he looks at him. Actually, the passage says that Jesus, or Peter said, look at me. He commanded eye contact. The guy looked up. And as they made contact, Peter looked at him and says, silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have, I want to give to you. I'm going to stop right there and ask you a question. How did Peter know that God wanted to heal? him? Have you ever thought about that, ask that question? Why was Peter so bold in that moment? This is one of the things that I want to encourage you in. As you live your life, as you move amongst the people around you and you connect with different people. There are going to be times where your spirit, something inside you is going to motivate you. Is going to say, they need a prayer. Or you have this sense that you want to care for them. There was a time when Jesus was looking on, and there was a crowd of people, and he had looked up on it, and he says, and it says that Jesus was filled with Compassion. These are some of the clues that the Spirit is working in you when you are living your life day to day, wherever it is. You're at the school, and you see a mom having struggles with her kids to getting them to go to school, and you have this welling up of, oh, I feel for her. That's probably a good indicator that maybe you want to come alongside and maybe help her or pray with her or whatever. But the reality is that Peter heard this person's cry for alms, he got his attention, look at me. And he took what he sensed was happening in here, what the Spirit was directing him in, and what he had experienced in watching Jesus. Silver and gold I don't have. I don't have anything to give you. But what I can give you is what Jesus has. Rise up and walk. You got to tell got to tell you, this made quite a scene. It wasn't a quiet miracle. If you read the passage quite clearly, it was a dynamic miracle. Not dynamic because of the way Peter did it. It was dynamic because of the way the man reacted. It says, as he stood up, his legs were strengthened. And then he went with Peter and John into the temple area, but he didn't go passively. It says he went walking and running and leaping and praising God. It was with A full expression of gratitude and thanksgiving. You see, when God moves in people's lives, it awakens in them something that spills over and touches other people. Do you remember the story of the woman of Samaria? In that story, Jesus is talking to her, he speaks to her, he gets her attention, and she recognizes that he is the Messiah. And she goes back to her village, and she tells everybody in the village about Jesus. And so they all come out, and he speaks to them. That's what happens when the Spirit of God motivates us and directs us. It awakens something in that person that they cannot contain. And it's one of the reasons lots of people become followers of Christ. Because you see, in this situation, this guy went walking and leaping and praising God, and he caught people's attention. I'm pretty sure that the temple was a pretty solemn place. And all of a sudden, there's this guy just praising God at the top of his lungs and dancing around. And people say, what's going on? And people tell them what happened. And all of a sudden, they recognize him. They say, I've seen him for the last 40 years outside that wall. It's probably an exaggeration. He wasn't there for 40 years. But a long time. And people started moving towards it, and they wanted to hear the story, and they get involved in it. You know what it says? As a result of this, the church grew from 3,000 people to 5,000 men in the church. They are estimating it's probably what was closer to... Uh, 10,000, 15,000 people. The church grew in whatever length of time that was. Of course, this caught the attention of the officials. The attention of the officials, and so they went and they grabbed Peter and John, threw him into prison, said, we've got to figure out what to do with this. And so they threw him into prison. Next day, they bring him out, and they start talking to them. And they warn them. They're not supposed to preach about Jesus anymore. They were embarrassed. I'm talking about this living God. Peter's comment was this. Tell me, is it right that we obey God or we listen to you? He went right to the core of the issue, right? And they had a hard time refuting that. Why? Because the man that had been healed was standing right there. And so there's presence. Presence. And so they challenged him a little bit more, and then they released them. So Peter and John head back, and they get together with their friends. And near the end of chapter 4, they pray. Verse 23. So as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. And when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. And they have this prayer, and I'm going to shorten it by going down a little ways. Because when they were praying, then in verse 29, and now, O Lord, after reviewing and praying about the uh, leaders and so on, now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power, May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preached the word of God with boldness. Verse 32, all the believers were united in heart and mind. That's Acts 3 and 4. I chose this passage because... We often read the Pentecost story in Acts chapter 2. But do you recognize the same thing happened again in chapter 4? You see, all of us who are followers of Jesus receive the Holy Spirit when we become followers of him. When we make the declaration, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Please come into my life and lead me. I want to serve you. In those moments, the Holy Spirit comes in every believer. And so all of these disciples had the Holy Spirit. But when there was this longing to serve, to fulfill God's calling and purpose in their lives, they put themselves and said, Lord, we want to be bold. We want to face these threats and face them head on. So come and fill us. And in doing so, God's Spirit came and filled them again. Place shook. There was clarity about what was happening. And there was a unity amongst them. So, what was it? What did happen? They were a group of people that were passionate about the gospel, they knew that the good news of Jesus Christ was life changing. Do you know what's life-changing? Are you aware of how it's changed your life? Is that worth celebrating? What has he freed you from? How has he given you a chain or changed your family? All of these things that we are to be thankful for, that's one of the reasons why Thanksgiving is so important. It reminds us over and over again of the goodness of God and how he's working in us. But secondly, they were obedient to the calling. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. These are the things that are important. And then finally, they were asking according to God's will. Will not God, the Father, give good gifts to those who ask? You see, at the very core of this, Receiving the Holy Spirit is about acknowledging that Jesus is Lord of your life and you want to follow him wherever he leads. Even if it means deepest, darkest Africa. Okay, some of you are from Africa and you're not threatened by that. You are threatened by coming to Canada. But the reality is, is where God leads us, right? Are we willing to set aside the fears to embrace the calling? It isn't just distant lands. It could be a new job that God leads you to. Or it could be just being open and transparent in your present job. Or the school you're going to. Or your circumstances in the neighborhood. Are you passionate about being under the Lordship of Jesus? Two of the young fellows were baptized last week their testimonies were powerful. I was really encouraged by them. Baptism is a sign of lordship. It's obedience to what God has called us to. In the early church, they would prepare the people to be baptized in such a way there was an expectation that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit as soon as they were baptized. Baptized. That was just part of the process. Why? Because it was a submission to the Lordship of Christ and a willingness to die to this world so they could be alive to the purposes of God. And in that moment, they were prepared to receive the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, that's what we want to do. We want to invite you to reflect in your heart. Do you want the Holy Spirit to work in your life? to guide you, to lead you? Do you want him to be Lord of your life? If that's the case, then we want to lead you into praying to receive the Holy Spirit. So, I'm going to ask you to stand, and in standing, There's a couple of things I want you to do before you receive the Holy Spirit. there's a simple question. I'll give you a moment. But answer this question for yourself. Is there anything that would hinder me from receiving the Holy Spirit? Just take a moment to ask that question in your heart. If there is something there, just give it to God and invite Him to remove that. Either it be through your confession of the sin that say it's sin, saying, "Lord, please forgive me of this sin, wash me clean, so I can receive all that You have for me." Now in your heart's standing, you can put your hands in a position of receiving, or if if you want to do it another way, that's fine. But here's the thing. Can you say, Lord Jesus, I want you to come and lead my life by your Holy Spirit? I want to be able to see where the Father is working so that I can join him. I want to see where he's working in my family, in my workplace, in my neighborhood. And I am willing to be led by the Spirit to engage in the work of the Father. So now I encourage you to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to fill you. Father, you know the hearts that are prepared for you this morning. Lord, you know the ones that are eager to follow after you. And so, Holy Spirit, come and move in right now. Filling people with you, with yourself. That they might know that you are present in them. Lord, give them some indicator of your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. That last little bit that I prayed that the Lord would give you some indicator that He is present. Our experience has been that people have had different things happen that indicate that God made Himself real. In the Old Testament and New Testament, as you read the Scriptures, you'll find that there's a number of places where God came upon people and unusual things happened for them. We've seen people have an increased desire to read the Scriptures. We've seen people who have had joy bubble up inside and they walk around with a silly grin on their face and laughing off and on. We've seen people become more sensitive to the circumstances around them in other words, what I'm saying is, is that be prepared to, reckon, to be prepared, that God's presence will be real. It's not like this is a theoretical thing. It's a reality of God making himself real to you, and it can happen in all kinds of different ways. I've seen dramatic evidences of God doing it, and I've seen quiet ones. And often it is associated with the person, its character. But sometimes it's to overwhelm the character. We have a classic example. There was a calling for people to come forward for prayer. And as they were coming forward, this one person came forward. And as the pastor at the front was praying for the filling of the Holy Spirit, this person went, jumped straight up, went straight flat, and fell flat down. It was a scary moment. We go, what's that about? Somebody went over and asked her, what happened? She had an eating disorder. And the Lord said, in the same way I've made you lay down on the ground, I am overcome your eating disorder. You see, she needed some evidence that God was present to deal with something that she couldn't deal with on her own. It was what she needed She was not looking for that. Brenda and I knew her. That was not her character. She was not something that was demonstrative in that way. But it was something that she needed, and God provided it. And she went on to do further studies and and so on, because in that moment, she recognized that God helped her overcome something so that she could help others with that same issue. So there has been dramatic stuff. But then we've seen quiet stuff. I remember one person we were praying for, they were hoping to have the gift of tongues. didn't happen. But she spent half the night giggling and laughing because the joy of the Lord had so filled her. She got up partway through the night so she wouldn't wake her husband. Quite a testimony, eh? A quiet presence of We have four teams that are going to be uh, at the front to pray with people. To go a step further, because you see, as Paul said to Timothy, he says, remember the gift that you received with the laying on of hands of the elders. And so we have part of our prayer team and a number of the leaders that are going to be praying at the front. And if you sense a God in this moment, you receive the Holy Spirit, but you maybe want to get a sense of, God's leading and God's calling in your life, or you have a sense of the calling and you want to confirm that, then we'd invite you to come forward following the service. And there will be people here to pray with you. For those of the rest of you, if you're not planning on coming forward for prayer, just so that they can have some quiet at the front here, we'd encourage you to get out in the foyer. Foyer gets full, just sort of spill out into the parking lot, sidewalks. It's nice outside today, so you can do that. Or if you have kids and you want to corral them, take them into the gymnasium there and, and be there. So I'd encourage you to come forward. So I'd invite the uh, team that's that here to take up their places so you can see who they are. Please stand as we declare the benediction. You are the people of God, called by God, into his redemptive mission. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So go, knowing that the Holy Spirit is there to empower you, and be who you are. Go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Serve him faithfully, in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Hey, and welcome back. Thanks for listening to this Sunday's message. We hope that we've helped you in your spiritual journey and that you're drawing closer to God. At Crosspoint, we gather on Sundays at 10 a.m. in Northeast Edmonton. And throughout the week in something we love to call home groups. Home groups are encouraging and transformational communities for people just like you. We believe that the journey of faith is done together. So we hope that you'll connect with us at thecrosspointchurch.ca. Now, let me remind you of who you are. You are the people of God, called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are.